Hi, and welcome back to Bring Your Own Chair. I am really excited. Again, I feel like I say this at the, at the beginning of every episode, but I truly am. I am so excited to be sharing my first Bring Your Own Chair solo episode with you all. And this episode is dedicated to Women's History Month. This is going to air right at the end of the month. And I'd been spending a little bit of time thinking about Women's History Month and what it means to me and just all the feelings that it brings up. And so we're going to chat through a couple of different things related to women and women's history. And I thought that it would be a really great place to start by just looking at the history of Women's History Month. I mean, I think that it's important to kind of reflect on all these different themed months that we have in the U.S. and across the world, especially after we just came out of Black History Month and now it's Women's History Month. But what do they really mean and, and the feelings that they kind of bring up, especially living in a country that still doesn't seem to value women and people of color and women who are people of color, just like me. So I think that I really wanted to delve deep into just what is the history of Women's History Month and how did it even come to be? So I did a bit of research and I found out that Women's History Month kind of came to be in the late 70s, early 80s, and it actually started out as in Women's History Week. So the story behind Women's History Month and Women's History Week is that it began as a local celebration in Santa Rosa, California. The Education Task Force of Sonoma County in California commissioned status of women planned and executed a Women's History Week celebration in 1978. The organizers selected a week the week of March 8th to correspond with International Women's Day. And the movement kind of spread across the country as other communities initiated their own Women's History Week celebrations the following year. In 1980, a group of women's organizations and historians led by the National Women's History Project, which is now the National Women's History Alliance, successfully lobbied for national recognition. So in February of 1980, President Jimmy Carter issued the first presidential proclamation declaring the week of March 8th 1980 as National Women's History Week. I looked into a little bit of the speech that Jimmy Carter gave when kind of ratifying Women's History Week into into our society and our country and, and into like the popular kind of um, way that it's celebrated now. And I wondered what he referenced and who, what kinds of women and who were the women that he referenced in, in this proclamation. Um, and he started, he kind of began and stated from the first settlers who came to our shores, from the first American Indian families who befriended them, men and women have worked together to build this nation. So I was already kind of surprised right there that he mentioned Native Americans um, and Native American women in the speech. And um, throughout the rest of it, he does kind of acknowledge all different kinds of women, mainly on the, like, Bases and diversity of race. So he mentions by name Susan B. Anthony, Sojourner Truth, Lucy Stone, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Harriet Tubman, and Alice Paul. And I was, I don't know why I was surprised to hear the name Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman noted in the speech. But um, yeah, I think it it's important because sometimes these these months and these celebrations can seem to be really geared towards white women um, and white people. And I think as a black woman, I feel like I have to go the extra mile um, or place emphasis on the fact that if this is Women's History Month, there are so many different 
kinds of women, different backgrounds, identities, intersections that should be acknowledged during the month. Um, and making sure that I see my people and my history involved in, in Women's History Month as well. So yeah, I, that, it was interesting to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive and, and get to the basis of how Women's History Month even came to be. This year, I mean, I if you know me as a person, you know I'm really passionate about girls and women's rights. So this month is a big deal in just some of the, the sectors and the spaces that I like to operate in. And I had a really great time this month. I volunteer every year with the Girl Scouts of the United States and the World Association of Girl Guides and Girl Scouts, known as WAGS, um, every year when they bring a delegation of girls to the Commission on the Status of Women, which is a big conference around gender equity that happens here in New York City during Women's History Month. And um, I had a really great time connecting with some of the girl delegates that um, were coming to the conference this year and working with them on an event they did around digital literacy. And that was super interesting to me just because I am a millennial, so I kind of grew up. I wasn't a kid and had a ton of technology, but as I got to become a teenager and, and a, an adult, you know, technology is a really um, big and kind of seamless part of my life at this point. And having digital literacy is something I think that uh, was emphasized by my parents and like monitoring my time on the internet when I was younger and, and you know, just learning how to operate um, online is really important. But throughout this session that these girls put together, um, there was girls from across the U.S. that spoke about their interactions and, and access to the internet, which varied on a, on a scale that kind of surprised me as well, just because I, I had my own experience with having access to the internet, but that's definitely not the case for even girls across this country and then the world as well. Um, so I learned a ton from those young women who put together that event. And so it's been a great kind of uh, Women's History Month for me. And I really wanted to spend some time kind of acknowledging just where this month um, has originated from and what it means to me and kind of what are the other things that it brings up. Um, so I think I also wanted to talk a little bit, again, elaborate into why women, women's and girls' rights is so important or they are so important to me. I think if I like reflect on my life and just go back to even being a kid, I have been surrounded by so many strong and amazing women. And I really saw women the women in my life as the people who were getting things done who were figuring out how to make things work whether they had the resources or they didn't have them um they just they sh they showed up for for me and for other people and they were just always always the people in my life that kind of figured things out and got things done um and i've been really fortunate to be surrounded by so many strong um, women who i'll talk a little bit about more later but i also think um too just my own experience of being a being a girl and being a being a girl of color growing up in a place where I didn't see so many girls and women who looked like me like I didn't have I went to schools that were mostly um, where I was surrounded by a lot of white people and I think I often felt a little bit out of place just because I, you know it's hard to kind of relate to to people and to things who aren't like you and also not having those kind of proximate I think role models was something that I definitely noticed growing up um, and I could also tell too that things are just were harder for women and girls like we have the obstacles and things just about how we are how we are and how the um, the roles that we 
have traditionally played in society and in the patriarchy make things infinitely more difficult for us than they can be. And I think growing up, that was something that I had to learn early on. And just you have to, as a young woman, as a girl, you have to figure out how to operate and be in the world in a way that you that is going to be the best for you and that you can avoid like pitfalls and and setbacks because they're they're out there and they're easy and I think the way that the system and our world is designed um can make it easy to fall to fall prey to things as a woman and as a girl and so that just never really sat right that never sat well with me and and I also um yeah, I think I was just like, that's not, it's on the basis, it's not fair. And I think that I've also seen, um, have a lot of family and friends and just young women that I've known that didn't have the access to maybe knowledge or resources that could have made huge differences in their lives. And it's, it was always, I think, me saying that it wasn't for lack of like capacity or capability to excel or succeed. It was just not having the access to the tools or things that they needed to do so. And that was the that was the thing that I felt was holding some of these people, some of these women and, and young girls back that I that I knew from different parts of my life. And I just I think in in those moments, that's where I really wanted to figure out how can we resource and give women and girls the things that they need because when they have them, I oftentimes they make good decisions with with the resources and tools given. Um, and so that's kind of like sparked everything that I have ever wanted to do ever since then. And that's really ultimately, um, I think, my personal ethos and, and, and mission in life, I think, with a huge emphasis on, on women and girls of color, but also just anyone. I've, I've been super fortunate to, to have resources or to have people around me that know how to figure out how to obtain resources or information or tools. And um I think what am what am I going to do with that information besides share it with other people? Um, and so that's I think one of the reasons that especially girls, um, just yeah, girls and young women um, have become such an important kind of, of of sector and like place in my life, and figuring out you know what I can do to leverage and move resources around so that they have what they need to to excel and do the things that they want to do. Um, has just really become like a part of my person I mean, and what I, I truly care about. And I think it happens at, at so many different levels and scales. I think it's really easy to look at, at other places in the world and see um, very clearly how gender dictates outcomes for your life. But also um, here, like that happens, I've seen that happen time and time, you know, within my own like peer group friends, family here in, in the United States. And, and it's just, um, yeah, your gender shouldn't dictate the outcomes um, for your life in the way that I think I've seen it happen so often. And that's really why uh, women and girls rights are really important to me. And I have gone on to like, study adolescent girls sexual reproductive health for graduate school and really figure out how can we leverage better connections with girls across the world um, to improve outcomes and to improve cultural understanding amongst us um one of the really big things that i spent time researching while i was in grad school was just looking at how black girls like me 
we're kind of really left out of the global gender equity conversation. So I think a lot of girls based in sub-Saharan Africa um, and in India and South America kind of like center that um, are centered in that global gender equity conversation. And I've just really felt like myself and my peers weren't included. And I think that that we're missing such a huge and important voice and perspective. Um, and in college, I was a part of an organization that connected us girls in college with girls um, in sub-Saharan Africa and South and Central America. Um, and I just, I felt like I could really, uh, I could relate and I think in a different way than some of my um, white female peers who are part of the organization to the struggles and things that these girls were facing at a much larger scale than than myself, of course. Um, and so that also is very, uh, is kind of like a really niche area of interest and focus for me um, is I think recognizing the, recognizing that black girls are kind of overlooked in this global gender equity conversation. And one that's, um, I think that's doing them a disservice to help, you know, us kind of gain, gain the tools and, and recognition that we need, but also we're missing just really valuable connections, I think, in relationships for girls across identities and across the world that we're losing out on, on really powerful connections there. Um, so that's a little bit more about why women and girls' rights are important to me. Um, and kind of, I infuse all the work and everything that I do with a gender lens. Um, and, and even more so than a gender lens, an, an intersectional lens, depending on the context. But I think it's really important to take a look at people's race and gender when we're having any kind of conversation, especially in the field that I work in around philanthropy. And so approaching that work just with that lens already activated, just, um, I think, helps to have more robust and intentional and realistic conversations um, when it comes to just to this kind of like social impact nonprofit philanthropy sector work that I work in as well. And I think much like that, um, in transitioning from kind of using that myself, using that, applying that gender lens to the work that I do, I read a really interesting op-ed by Michelle Yeoh, who uh, has been um, talked about a lot in the media. She just won an Oscar. Um, she was phenomenal in the film, everything, everywhere, all at once, loved it, did an amazing job. But um, she used her kind of moment right after she won the Oscar uh, to release an op-ed to the New York Times. And she talked about a trip that she took to Nepal with her partner back in 2015. And while she was there, a, an earthquake had happened. And so she um, spoke about her experience and, and everything that she had to go through over those couple of days in the aftermath of the earthquake to even get out of the country herself. Um, but she ended up returning three weeks later to help work with... Um, organizations and people on the ground to kind of help in the aftermath of that earthquake and she returned as a goodwill ambassador with um, the united nations development program and in her op-ed she spoke about how that was in 2015 we're seeing earthquakes again happen in turkey and syria earlier this year and so these are i mean climate that i think that can kind of um transition into more of like a climate change and climate response conversation, but that'll be for a different episode. Um, but as we can see that these um, these kind of 
geographical events continue to happen. And when they happen in places where 90% of the population are living in poverty and need humanitarian assistance, it just creates such a difficult situation for people trying to rebuild their lives and even remain safe. And she talked about that, but she also made it a point to apply a gender lens to this work. And so she said that um, for those people living in poverty already, and then you layer on a catastrophe like an earthquake or something like that, women and girls, again, bear so much more of the brunt of the aftermath. And so she's seeing things like in Syria, where an earthquake happened earlier this year, stats like 40,000 women will be giving birth in the coming months without access to sanitary conditions. They're having women that have to sleep out in the open, especially when there's a situation like an earthquake and buildings aren't safe, so you have to sleep outside, or they're being placed in group shelters without adequate privacy or protection. They're at a cre increased risk for sexual violence and assault, which skyrocket again in the aftermath of a disaster or in situations like war and things like that. And so to fully, to fully be able to recover from disasters like these and to be prepared for the next one, the specific needs of women and girls have to be factored into the humanitarian response. And so I really, um, and just reading this op-ed, I thought that she was just going to kind of talk about the situation um, at more of a higher level, but I appreciated how she applied that gender lens and, and also took it a step further to not just think about how we need to include women and girls, specifically when we think about our response and our preparedness, but they have to play integral roles in the leadership and recovery process. Um, so women need to be sitting on these task force task forces. They need to be included in in all aspects of kind of the response and preparedness so that we can really truly make sustainable change around that. So um, I thought that that was just a really interesting piece that came out um, during Women's History Month and I'll link it to the show notes so you can take a look at it as well. But yeah, so I think just this episode is just a little bit of a kind of a hodgepodge of lots of <laughs> different things I think related to girls and women during this Women's History Month and I really appreciated the op-ed from Michelle Yeoh. And so to close this episode out, I want to return kind of back to my life and my personal kind of experiences and just shouting out a few women that I really admire and, and give them their flowers during, during this time and this month, even though I strive to do that all the time anyway. Um, but I would have to say at the top of my list, of course, my mother, um, she is, she's an amazing person. And outside of just being my mom, she has lived in a full life and does so many things she's an educator um, she's a poet she's a creative she is very silly um, she is she is basically kind of like my best friend I mean we're we're like the same person so sometimes <laughs> talking to her is like talking to myself but yeah she just she um, inspires me a lot and she believes in me and so I know that I have um, the luxury of having a mother where I could come I could come home tomorrow and tell her I wanted to be an astronaut and she would fully support me in it. She would ask me what my plan was and, and she would support me in doing that. And so I think that's one of the, that's one of the things I really admire about my mom is that she, if you have a dream or a goal, like she is someone who you would want to have in your corner and on your team, because she's going to encourage you to do that. And she's going to, to the extent that she can help you try to figure that out. Um, so 
I got to give my props and flowers to my mother this month. And then also both of my grandmothers, my, my grandmother um, on my mom's side of the family who has since passed away, but was just, I think she was the epitome of, of, a, of a matriarch, um, had an amazingly huge, big, lovingly loud, crazy family that she cared for throughout her entire life. Um, she had 13 kids, which is so many children. Um, and she was a beautiful singer and just a beautiful woman and person. And um, I really am grateful that I got to spend a lot of time with her towards the end of her life, um, that she uh, came and lived with me and my family. And just really am grateful for the time that I got to spend with her. And then also my grandma on my uh, dad's side of the family who is still living and still <laughs> still grandmaing it up um she is she is like I think I would characterize her as just like a hug in human form I love going to see my grandma and getting hugs from her and she just takes care of you you know when you go to visit her she's going to feed you she's going to love on you she's going to ask you about your life she is gonna she will indulge in like kind of reluctantly will indulge in like taking photos and learning about internet stuff, even though she's like never going to do any of that. Um, so I really, uh, I just am really lucky to have, to have a mother and, and grandmothers who have just um, given me so much love. And, and I just, I, I feel so privileged and just grateful that I have had those sources of love in my life. Um. And then other women in my life who are just amazing. I've had some really great mentors, Chelsea and Annie, people who have just come along um, earlier on in my career and who I'm still connected to to this day and are always around to help me with recommendation letters or to just help me talk through different things I'm facing in my career. I've really appreciated having that, that fellowship with them um, throughout uh, my yeah, throughout my professional career so far. And I think I've known both of them almost close to 10 years now. Um, and I'm just really glad that I've been able to maintain those relationships with them. And they're both amazing um, women and philanthropy professionals in their own right. And so I'm really, I'm really grateful to have them um, in my life as well. And then just also a shout out to everybody that I know that's a mom, all my friends that are moms, because that just like does not look easy. And my sister who is now a mom, um yeah like creating human beings from scratch and like helping mold them into people is like nah, is a huge deal and they are all doing it um I think with a level of transparency that I appreciate and love and care and so I just want to send a special shout out to all of them this women's history month making women's history um as we go along I am so grateful that you have decided to tune in to yet another episode of Bring Your Own Chair. I hope that you have learned something from this hodgepodge of thoughts that I have around women's history. And I can't wait to um, continue on with this season. And I hope you stay tuned in for next week, where we'll be featuring another episode with an interview guest. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much. Thank you.